Good morning. This morning we turn to a passage that records Peter's denial of Christ. Now, before we do that, we need to get one thing straight before we go anywhere near the text. It is important to remember that when John is writing his gospel, in every chapter and every verse, his purpose is not to write about human beings. It means that he is not writing to address our concerns on discipleship or such like. As such, when we read this text, as with any other in the Bible, we need to resist that temptation to reduce the gospel, to reduce it to being simply about us. When we read this passage, we need to avoid that great error of treating it like some neat little document on discipleship. For otherwise... As we encounter Peter here, we would simply see someone getting it wrong. Merely take the lesson that this is something that we shouldn't do. Now, we will read about Peter. Uh, We will uh, note uh, the mistakes that he makes. But the centre of the gospel is Jesus. Uh, This is why this book began. In the beginning was the word, which means that Jesus doesn't just simply feature at the beginning of this book. He is in existence before the beginning of time. From the first verse, we are reminded that it is all about Jesus. In case we forgot, we are reminded uh, by John in chapter 20, verse 31, when we are told that the things recorded in in this book and all the signs carried out before the disciples are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We are to keep our eyes firmly on Jesus. We are to have him at the centre of the book. And as a result, we are reminded that he is supposed to be at the centre of our lives. In order to make this point all the clearer, John, in a departure from how the other Gospels record this event, he splits the denials of Peter with what is simultaneously happening to Jesus. The difficulty with the split is that the last denial actually happens whilst Jesus is finishing with uh, Annas being questioned rather than afterwards, as could be inferred here. The benefit, uh, the reason he does this, is so that we see that Christ remains at the centre of everything. John, therefore, does not simply present an account of a man who in his most difficult moment rejects Christ. Instead, in Peter... We have the point of the gospel. A man who here acting in his own strength and therefore is doomed to fail. But he's also a man who Christ will come to later and restore. A man who Christ sets on an unimaginable path. Uh, What we have here is Peter rejecting and denying Jesus. But we should bear in mind that later we will see Jesus show grace and forgiveness. We will see Peter restored and recommissioned. Uh, Here in John 18 we see the failure. We witness the total collapse of Peter's discipleship. And yet, even this disaster highlights what is essential. What is essential for each of us? Because this calamity presents what the gospel is all about. The grace of Jesus Christ the Messiah. However, the failure of Peter is also essential for what Peter will go on and do. Later, he will be the one that helps build the church. He will be entrusted with feeding the lambs. In order to do this, it is essential that Peter collapses first. You see, what Peter has been doing until now, it looks good, it sounds good. 
But everything that he has built is founded on sand. He has been building his discipleship on himself, his enthusiasm, his impetuousness, his ability to do what he can for Jesus. He has been willing to do things, but then he's been building on that. He's been building on his ability to do things. And it is time for him to realise that this is not a sound foundation. It is essential that he have the sand replaced with rock for that flimsy self-reliance to be instead replaced with a rock that does not move. This is essential for the trials that await him in the future, for the task that will be given to him in the future. It is essential that his discipleship, his following of Jesus, that it is based on Jesus and his grace. Jesus And his mercy, it is essential that he relies on the ability of Jesus to take Peter and make something of him rather than where he is at this moment, reliant on his own ability, on his attempts to make something of himself for Jesus. At the heart of the passage, in the trial of Jesus and in the denials of Peter, we see these two contrasting things. On the one hand, we are to see that following Jesus is based on Jesus And on Jesus coming to us and taking us by his grace and his mercy and causing us to follow him. On the other, on that polar opposite, we see the danger in allowing ourselves in thinking that we can do it and that we can do it for him. Where we base it upon ourselves and what we are doing for Jesus. You know, the difference between those two things is like chalk and cheese. They are complete contrasts. Utter reliance on Jesus Christ is real Christianity. The other is merely religion. One of them is genuinely living by faith in Christ. The other is living by our own pitiful strength. One of them will last for eternity. The other might not even make it until tomorrow. And so it is essential that Peter has this moment, this point of utter collapse. We know this because of the future that lies before him, a future that is far beyond the man who stands next to the fire in that courtyard, denying his saviour. It is essential, and so that means that God allowed it to happen. This is made clear in Luke 22, verse 31 to 34. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, that is back to to Jesus, you would strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. When I read this text, uh, I am struck by a question. Do we have a big enough view of God? The disaster that befalls Peter was allowed by Jesus. The failing is all Peter's, but Jesus lets it happen because it had to happen. We have a God who, out of love and care, has room, not simply for things to go wrong, but room for our own personal failure, room for my own personal failure. 
You see, I'm not talking about failure in a task. I'm talking about failing the person. I'm talking about failing Jesus himself. You know, and, and he has room for a failure. And more than that, he is willing to use it. He will use the most catastrophic failure of your faith, uh, the biggest disaster in your discipleship. God can let you fail when he could have stopped it. I mean, God could, I guess, uh, keep you in some sort of um, spiritual cotton wool, you know, stop any temptation whatsoever. I mean, I guess he could do that, but he does not. So when we look at this collapse in Peter, It is worth remembering that it is something that Jesus said would happen and it is something that had to happen. Luke, though, also reminds us that there is an enemy involved. There is an enemy who will do all that he can to stop you from following Jesus, as we saw there in verse 31. When we read that Satan seeks to sift you as wheat, it shows us in clear relief that the collapse of Peter is about the destruction of the false things that he has based his life upon. We see that it was necessary because it is a sifting. In other words, all of this is to get rid of the things that should not be there. God will use this moment, this point where Peter gets broken, in order to get rid of the stuff that should not be there. To remove the rubbish that is wedged in Peter's heart. To remove the self-reliance, the impetuousness, the big brave words. And produce in the end a humbler Peter, aware of his own weaknesses. After this, we have a Peter who will have a life that testifies to a God who redeems, a God who forgives, a God who builds up again, a God who restores, who is persistently kind, regardless of what we deserve. One of the big lessons after this that we see in the life of Peter is that we have a God that we are not supposed to just try and impress in our own strength. This is the context of what we read in John, where Peter follows Jesus uh, alongside another disciple who we think is is John himself. Together they followed right up into the courtyard of the high priest. And in the way that John tells it, uh, the way that the denials of Peter are split by the, the, the questioning of Christ, we see that there are actually two trials going on at the same time. We have here the trial of Jesus, And the trial of Peter. Unlike Christ, Peter's is a trial that is doomed to fail. Uh, And the parallel account in Matthew 26 uh, tells us why. In verse 34 of that chapter, Peter had boasted in front of all the other disciples that though they may all run away, he never would. And he almost manages to live up to that boast. He follows Jesus to the courtyard. But as Matthew 26 verse 58 says, he followed at a distance. So here's the plea for each and every one of you listening just now. If upon examining your heart, you find that you are following him, but at a distance. If you follow, but he is far away. If it is more about church than Jesus, then please learn from Peter. This man who would follow at a distance and then collapse. You you cannot be a cost-free Christian Because you do not follow a Messiah who is willing to avoid the cross. If you follow at a distance, at a cost-free distance, then you too, like Peter, will collapse. 
because it's the most vulnerable place for a Christian to be. For it is in that closeness to Jesus that expands your love for him. And in that love, there is courage. In that love, there is loyalty, even when there is a cost. And having followed at a distance, he falls at the first hurdle in verse 17 in our text in John 18. The serving girl at the door said to Peter, you're also not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. You're not one of them, are you? She asks. The way that she asks shows that John was openly known as a disciple of Jesus. It's John that's got Peter into the courtyard. It's a natural follow-up. You know, John has vouched for Peter. And so she comes to him and says, you're not one of those disciples as well, are you? Now, at this point, there's no evidence that Peter would have suffered any inconvenience by an open admission of being his disciple. An association that was openly held by John. Yet here we see that the man who wielded a sword, who was ready to die just a few verses before, is now cowed and unwilling to be associated with Jesus. Peter, the same man who followed at a distance, now enters the courtyard and even distances himself from John. It's not just the cold that sees Peter go stand by the fire, as we see at the end of verse 18. Peter chooses to stand with the very men who had helped arrest Jesus. Now, Bear in mind that this courtyard was right outside where Jesus was being tried. And as we can see the other accounts, it was in in view of what was happening to Jesus. Jesus is going through a trial. Although in contrast to Peter, it's one that Jesus passes. Hannes, the retired high priest, quizzes Jesus on his teaching and his disciples. It's interesting uh, that uh, seeking to put an end to Jesus, he was so desperate to see this man stopped, that Annas, a man responsible for the law, is happy to break it. In answer to the questions, Jesus responds by telling him that there is no need to question him. His ministry has been an open book, a book that could have been read by anyone who wished to. In John seven twenty six, we read that Jesus taught openly. The reason that he'd encountered the anger of the religious leaders is because he hadn't been keeping the fact that he was the Messiah a secret. Indeed, it is interesting that he places his teaching into the hands of his disciples. Go and ask them. And at the same time, we see Peter denying him. Nonetheless, this response made the point um, uh, to Annas that according to the law, Jesus was entitled to have eyewitnesses brought in against him. Uh, That's what's laid down in Deuteronomy 17 verse 6 and in Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. As such, it is Jesus who demands that the law is actually followed, which results in a further breaking of the law. Uh, The official that strikes Jesus was not allowed to do so. In Deuteronomy 25 verse 1 to 2, it is clear that only the guilty could be struck. And so having passed the first test, in comparison to even the retired high priest, Jesus is sent to Caiaphas. It is in contrast to this that we return to Peter. Uh, There is a sense of the inevitable when we return to that courtyard. For the man who is followed at a distance, who keeps his distance from the other disciple, who chooses to keep company with those who despised Jesus, completely collapses. For as we see in verse 25, it is as he warms himself by the fire that the second denial comes. This time in front of the crowd around the flames. Verse 26 brings us to the third denial where a relative of the man he's injured is sure that Peter is a follower of Christ. He's had three opportunities 
Three opportunities for Peter to affirm who he follows. Three increasingly public opportunities to demonstrate his loyalty to Jesus Christ. All he has to do is say, yes, yes, I know him. Do you want to know more about him? Three opportunities, each of them missed. Each missed because he denies Jesus. In the other accounts, uh, Peter's denials actually get progressively stronger. When you read the same account in Matthew, we see that not only does Peter say that he's not a follower of Christ, he does it with an oath. In other words, he uses the name of the Father to witness that he doesn't know the Son. When it comes to the third denial in uh, Mark 14 verse 71, uh, we read that he calls down curses on himself, crying, I do not know the man. John doesn't include these details. Um, Indeed, he's the one that will go on to record the reconciliation of Peter in chapter 21. Unlike the other three gospel writers, John is a very, very close friend of Peter. He is the one in the courtyard with him. Uh, He is the one who first associates himself with Peter later on. Uh, He is with him when they're the two men who go to investigate the empty tomb. He is in the fishing boat with him when Jesus reveals himself to them. He is his friend. And yet the point is still made. Peter vehemently denies Christ three times and he does so because his own personal safety has been threatened. It has been threatened by that task of public loyalty to Jesus. That's something that we can all be in danger of repeating. But when it comes to our name, our reputation, when it's us, it's on the line, when public loyalty to Jesus might have a cost. Now, Now note, I don't say loyalty to church. I mean it when I say publicly loyal to Jesus. You, you know, you can actually get away with saying to someone that you're at church. It might have a mild reaction. Some people might roll their eyes. They might say some mildly negative comment. But generally speaking, you can get away with it. It's a thing that people do. But if you say, I follow Jesus. If you say, I spent Sunday learning about him, as soon as you mention Jesus himself, then things are on the line. Public loyalty to Jesus is threatening to others. It can be dangerous for our reputation. For Peter, uh, who in Matthew 16, 23, um, you know, this is a man who had wanted a Christianity without a cross. He told Jesus that that wasn't where he was going to be going. No, Jesus, that's not for you, he said. And as Jesus heads to the cross, Peter is not willing to follow him there. And so everything collapses. As we read at the end, the cock crows. In the other accounts, we read that uh, at this, Peter went out and he completely broke down. However, it's in Luke 22, verse 61, that we discover... Why? As I mentioned at the beginning, the downside to the way that the text is split is that we can miss the fact that Jesus is still before Annas when Peter is denying him for that third time. However, as we see in Luke, something incredible happens that causes Peter to break down completely. In the middle of his trial, Jesus hears the crow. And despite all of what is happening to him, Jesus is not thinking about himself. With everything that is going on, he looks across the courtyard and fixes his gaze on Peter like an arrow. 
That look fires across the courtyard and it is the look that breaks him. It is the look that does him in. For in that moment, Peter knows that he is all talk and the whole lot collapses. Now, this is not the end of Peter. In the hands of God, he is remade into the man that could write first and second Peter. Remolded, he is pivotal in the early church and the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. We read here that he collapsed, but that is not the end. With a look, Jesus, with infinite love, made sure that this moment was not going to be wasted. Because this was not the end for either of them. So a conclusion. You would not want to be where Peter found himself. I mean, would you? So two things. Uh, first, the easy point, you know, don't deny Jesus. <laughs> Remember, it's not about us. And so with each and every opportunity, you no, know, speak his name. When Jesus tells the high priest, ask those who heard what I said to them in verse 21. Jesus knows that the time will come when those who heard Jesus will proclaim it. Jesus knows that the betraying, denying disciples will speak Jesus' teachings. Uh, even more, these failing disciples will be able to speak of Jesus' unconditional love for them and how Jesus made God known in that love. Because even as they denied, Jesus remained faithful. So when you are presented with a choice between safety and loyalty, choose loyalty to Jesus. The consequences are probably not going to be what you fear. And Jesus will use the opportunity. And you will be amazed at what God can do with that very small step of faith. Second, the less easy point. As a preacher, this is the harder point because I too am just a man. I could build my life, this ministry. I could build everything on sand. And it could look good, it could sound good as I stand on my sandcastle. So it is with that in mind that we recognise that some of us may have to go where Peter went. We have to go there if what we're holding on to is not the real thing. If it looks good, sounds good, but not real. Perhaps for some, Satan has been seeking to sift you like wheat. But Jesus still intercedes to this day that your faith would not fail. So when you turn back, that you would be strengthened and that you in turn would strengthen your brothers and sisters. Maybe for some of us, Jesus will take us through that painful process of rescuing us from the sand and placing, him, placing us on himself, that rock. He does it because he loves us. He loves us enough to see us freed from all that nonsense that will otherwise see us fall. Praise God.